Good morning. In Galatians chapter 5 uh, this morning, uh, looking at the text there, uh, although we'll be talking about the fruit of the Spirit today, uh, we obviously have a great illustration of the power of God that has entered our midst together, and I'm not going to be able to outdo that, and that's not going to be my goal. So we're so thankful that the special family members here with us today uh, I'm sure there'll be more to say about that in a minute, so blessed to see that. We won't have to really stretch the idea of joy this morning too much, because uh, obviously we have much reason for that. In the book of Galatians, uh, we find a, an interesting situation, and, and something that we have to speak about uh, is this idea of legalism, and Galatians is... Uh, really about that and where we find our salvation, how we find our salvation, and what attitude that we have that leads to salvation. Uh, from the idea that faith is what saves us. Uh, and, and interesting enough, you can look at it, and some people believe that Galatians is written to uh, a town in Galatia. Some people say that Galatia is a area, and that Caesarea Philippi, that this could possibly also be, uh, this area be home to uh, the uh, and he just left my mind. That happens, doesn't it? Happens to me more and more. It's kind of crazy how this works. Uh, but Acts chapter ten, when we have the first Gentile convert uh, to Christianity, that the, that he was from there, his family was from there, and so you you see this in Acts chapter ten play out of these Jews not really knowing what to do. You know, it, it, should we? reach out to Cornelius? Should we allow him to become a Christian if he's not a Jew first? And of course, uh, we know that the Holy Spirit falls on them, and Peter's response is, is how can we withhold water from them? How can we withhold baptism from them? How can we withhold them becoming Christians? And so there are a lot of people within our brotherhood who are terrified of Acts chapter 10, and, and I'm much more the opposite way. I think that Acts chapter 10 is a wonderful situation that proves what we're supposed to do. These people received the Holy Spirit, and yet they still were baptized. They were still baptized into Jesus. And so going from that and jumping off the, the diving board from that point, we'll try to kind of sparse out here the difference and really what it is is the attitude approach to what we're required to do or what we might deem as essential uh, to salvation. And so as we look at that, I want to challenge you to read Galatians 4. A few weeks ago, uh, we mentioned Galatians chapter 4. But really what you have is this idea where Paul's trying to get across to them that, hey, listen, it's not what you do in the flesh that gets you there. It's what you do in the flesh after the Spirit has gotten a hold of you. It's a, not a have-to, right? Uh, I hear people from time to time, well, I have to preach tomorrow, right? And that's a different attitude than I get to preach tomorrow. I get to go and be with the body of Christ. I get this wonderful privilege rather than I have to do this, right? And when obedience becomes a privilege rather than a burden, that's when we find the difference. The Bible tells us in the New Testament that God's laws are not burdensome. They're not created to make life harder and more difficult. They're actually to give us the best life possible on this planet. Not without hardship, obviously. We have plenty of people with us today that have seen hardship. But in the face of that, we have a perfect world for soul making. It provides our physical needs, but it also challenges us 
there are difficulties. We cannot look at the Bahamas this morning and not view that there are difficulties in this life. There are things that happen from a physical standpoint. Romans 8 says that the world itself groans for the day that it will return to what it was created for, a relationship with God. You were created for relationship. And as hard as difficult church can be sometimes, we were built for this relationship. We were built for God to dwell among His people. In Galatians chapter 5, it starts verse 1, For freedom freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't turn this into a have-to when it is a get-to. It's a privilege. It's an honor to be able to serve God, that He would reach down, as David says, and drag us out of the mire. And show us a way to live. Acts chapter 17, we grope on the ground to try and find the way. And God winked at our ignorance, but now He calls all men to repentance. In Acts chapter 2, you see the view of repentance. I believe that Peter, if, if the Holy Spirit guided him, could have set a lot of requirements for those people. Repent and be baptized. And they did it. They did it. They were convicted to the point that it was not a have-to, it's a get-to. I want to get out of this mess. And as Americans, the difficulty for us in many occasions is to realize what a mess we are in. Right? We are so blessed in this country that we sometimes don't really know about struggle until it's just slapping us right in the face. Right? A lot of my struggle has to do with privilege rather than true, honest-to-God struggle and persecution, especially in comparison to what the church at Galatia is doing. Don't turn back to slavery. Don't submit yourself back to that, right? In our society today, there's almost no more terrible thing in the world than slavery, right? I mean, it's just the worst thing that's ever happened. It's a bad thing, right? But we've almost created in this thing that it's worse than death because we're all about freedom in this country until it comes down to how we live for God. And we turn back to that legalism. As he starts to unpack there, verses 2 through 12 talks about the implications of uh, justification by faith, as we've talked about before. In in verse 12, we we have some some pretty hard language there. Uh, You know, and he says, you know, for you recalled, or I wish those who unsettled you would emasculate themselves. And so what he does is he says, I want you to compare yourself. And and there were pagan worshipers at that day that would emasculate themselves uh, to worship their God. That was the sacrifice. So physically, they would abuse themselves, cut themselves. And so he says, how can you take and say that they must be circumcised to be in a right relationship with God and be just like these pagans? And he says, rather than stopping there, why don't you just go all the way? Because in the old law, guess what? If you emasculate yourself, you can't go into the congregation. And so Paul, on several levels here, is going, I wish that you would just take your stuff and leave and take your legalism with you. That's pretty strong words. Especially if you go to the book of Corinthians and see how many times he says, hey, you need to reach out to this person. You need to go through these levels. Jesus himself says, you know, if you've got something against a brother, you need to go to him. If he doesn't respond to that, take someone else. There's this whole process. And Paul says, listen, if, if you're going to believe in the flesh, there's not much hope for you. 
right? And we're like that dog that chases its tail. If you've bought into legalism, we've all been there. I can be good enough, and I can be smart enough, and I can, you can list all those things, and you're not enough. Paul says if, if, if you could be enough, there's no point in Jesus coming. You can't be enough. Romans chapter 7. You have to live by the Spirit. These guys are finding their meaning in fleshly action. And he says it's better, it's, as Jesus said, if your right eye offends you, cut it off. If your hand offends you, cut it. It's better to go to heaven with one arm than not go at all. And those are strong words. And I believe Paul's using the same sentiment here. If you want to believe in the flesh, you can't get there by the flesh. It must be through faith. And through that faith, what do we receive? The Spirit living in us. If it was about the flesh, why did Jesus choose Peter? uneducated, untrained men, right? To bring about the kingdom of God. It was because everybody could look at them and go, this can't be by their doing because they're not very bright. They're not very smart. These are not the guys, this is not the dream team, right? That we would all choose to go bring the kingdom of God in. It's uneducated men. Men who could never in a million years do this on their own or concoct this plan or think it up, right? That's one of the major tenets of and evidences that we believe what we believe because these men are not going to drop what they're doing and concoct a story where their Messiah dies and comes back from the dead, right? Now that's prophesied in the Old Testament. But that every person acknowledges these guys couldn't have done this. It's impossible, right? I'm sure when you got the idea to start a school, people probably looked at you and said, oh, that's impossible, right? I mean, I, I've moved here. I'm a transplant. I know there's a great love, a tremendous love for the schools in this community. And, and rightfully so. I wouldn't take away from that. But we don't need that. It's impossible. You guys can't get together and do that. And your response was, you know what? You're right. But God can. We've seen those. We've seen it. It's here with us. Right? We've seen it in action. And even in our fear and trembling, God is able to do more than we can think or imagine. It's an amazing thing. Walk by the Spirit. Verse 16. Actually, looking at verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? There are people who go, man, there's so much grace in God. Let's just go do what we want to do. It's my time. I don't need the church. I don't need any of that stuff. You know, God has saved me through His grace, right? But notice He says what's a major part of it. It's taking that grace and not going, I can do whatever I want to and get away with it because all I have to do is ask for forgiveness. It's quite the opposite. He says, through that grace, go love each other. Love each other. You know what there has to be? And each other. Right? We, we go to Hebrews and we talk about don't forsake the assembly, but the Scriptures over and over again talk about each other. And in that context, who's each other? The church. Serve one another. If you can't serve people, First John we just read, if you can't love your brother who you can't see, you cannot serve God who you cannot see. And brother in that context is y'all and me and us together. 
How can we love a dark world if we ourselves can't serve each other? It's impossible. It's impossible because as soon as we bring people in and they see we're at each other's throats, I I can get that anywhere else. I can go to work on Monday and beat each other's throats. I I don't have to take my time on Sunday and be somewhere and be at each other's throats. Literally, I've got people I can call and we can just have that out if that's what we want. But to serve each other. I say walk by the Spirit, verse 16. I'm still going to, I'm going to try my best to skip 14. I don't want to skip 14, so we're going to go back to 14. Because the beauty of it is, is he's talking about the law, right? The law can't save you. And what does he quote? Leviticus. I love it. It's just so much fun right there. It's like, listen, you want to serve, you want to fulfill all of Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all those texts that are hard for us to read. It gets real simple. Jesus did it. He put it together for us. He gave it to the Pharisees, the most legalistic people on the planet. He looks at them and says what? Leviticus 19.18 You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, there's a great question. How do we love? How can we love? How do we know to love? Because somebody showed us how. And it's a sacrificial laying down. Do not demand your own way. If I don't get my way, I'm going to pick up my ball and go home. I hate that. But you know what Paul tells them at the, that, that verse? He says, if you're going to be that way, just go. Don't wait for something to make you go, because there'll be something. Jesus didn't come and demand his own way. Did you know that everything that we claim is essential is a choice? I can't believe you'd make that essential. Well, the text teaches that it's essential, but you know what? You still have a choice to do and obey. It's a privilege when God shows up and says, this is what makes me happy. This is what is acceptable. We should look at that and go, well, that's what I want to do because I love God and I love other people, right? In everything, in every situation, we fulfill, what's the Ten Commandments? The first few are how to love God. The last few are how to love people. And when we can do things that do that both together, what a great thing that is. And I believe that there are a lot of things that way, right? When we sing. We please God and we edify each other. Check, check. There's the Ten Commandments. Hey, I want you to do this thing called baptism. And I want people to witness it. Because when you do that, you please me. And other people see and go, that's pretty awesome. That they're confessing me. You know, they're confessing God and they're putting on His blood, right? When we look at things and we see that, A... This edifies God. This is acceptable to Him. And B, it edifies others. We should be all about that. And it should be a privilege and an honor, not a have to. Right? So I don't preach it that way as a have to. We all got a choice in the matter. But do you want to be acceptable to God? Acts chapter 2. Hey, you guys messed up. You crucified the Son of God. Okay? And if you buy into that... And everybody, you know, 3,000 people bought it. Hey, we messed up. We crucified the Son of God. Here's how to get out of it. But wait, can I ask about specifics? Do I really have to? No, it wasn't like that, right? I want to get out of this bad spot. Whatever you say, I will do because that's pleasing to you, right? If only our attitudes revealed that. If only we understood and got a taste. One day we will. You know what? We won't be able to stop praising God. 
It's hard for us in this world and as privileged as we are in this wonderful, awesome, amazing country to really know how lost we were. But one day faith will be sought and we will absolutely, 100% understand the mess that we were in. And even us folks that don't like to sing very much or we don't think we sound very good are going to be so overwhelmed and amazed by what He's done that that will be all we want to do for eternity be the greatest thing we've ever done because that's what we were created to do. Holy, holy, holy. When you see it three times, that means it's the ultimate holy. There's nothing greater that we could ever do than to praise and worship God. It's easy for us to know what the law living by the flesh does for us. Verse 18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Verse 19, now the works of the flesh are evident Sexual immorality, which we all condemn quickly. Impurity, sensuality, idolatry, all laughable. Why would anybody do that? Sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. Fits of anger. I mean, we could have stopped right there, right? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, man, I wish he'd have paused to stop drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. How do you know you're not living by the Spirit? At least all the way, those things are present in your life. And even worse, you might even crave some of those things. There are people out there, right? They love to stir it up. I'm going to try to keep it clean, but they like to stir it up, if you know what I'm saying. And if they can't have peace in their life, they don't want you having peace in your life. If they don't want you, don't want joy, they don't want you to have joy. But the difference is, is if those people can steal your joy, you've given them too much authority in your life to begin with, right? Too much authority of those people. Don't give it to them. Paul says this, this awesome word, at least in this occasion, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things. There is no law. So you see those things in your life. Give the Spirit more power over that. Self-control, right? I'll I'll confess, that's the hard one for me, right? I have a bad day, I want to eat everything in my house. Right? Chocolate makes things better. Sweets make things better. And I want to eat it all. All of it till it's gone. And then I want to go get some more, right? That's how I celebrate. You know, we went in Friday night. I'm going to have me a soda this weekend. Drank my first Mountain Dew in like 12 months. Whoa. Whoa. I, don't, I could have drank a strong drink and it might not have knocked me on the floor like that one did. Woo. Not again, right? But self-control. Is this beneficial? Is this acceptable to God? And will it edify others? I have to ask myself that question every day. And I don't go, well, I'll just do better tomorrow. I'll go through this 12-step thing. I'll get into this process thing. No, I say, Spirit, you know that this is not acceptable. Carve it up. Do surgery on my heart if you have to and cut it out. Because it's only you that can do this. And in the process... You 
edify people through my shortcut. When I fall flat on my face, take it and use it and make something of it. Because you can. It's the Spirit. Self-control. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you are spiritual, should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, in the edifying one another, sometimes that means having to love them so much that you refuse to let them stay where they are. And sometimes you say things that you know they're not going to enjoy and they're not going to appreciate. But you know, and I know, that people have had to do the same thing for me, and they loved me enough to do so. And so those people, eventually, once I get over it, kind of climb my ladder of respect, right? That's how, what I hope for my boys when they play football. You know, I hope they realize that not everything I'm doing is to win a football game. It's great when we do, but it's to make them the best person they could possibly be. And if the Spirit, I pray that Spirit, use me whether it's on the field, in the classroom, Walmart, Wendy's, wherever you want me to be, use me. And when those social constructs come up that kind of make it awkward, make me forget about it and not worry about the awkwardness that it might entail because I want to serve you. Aren't we happy that Jesus didn't care about awkwardness? I mean, you think about some of the stuff, hey, you're going to eat my body and drink my blood. What? People hit the road. He looks at his disciples, you gonna you gonna leave me too? What a great question that is. Because it's an everyday question. When our culture challenges who Jesus is, when our society challenges who Jesus is, when my student challenges who Jesus is and if he's living in me, do I step up to the challenge and say, Spirit, you do what you need to do and use me if necessary? Or do we do like Adam did in, in the garden and kind of sit over and twiddle our thumbs and go, I know what I ought to do, but I'm a little scared to do it. Hopefully we're allowing the Spirit and its fruit to be so juicy and wonderful. I love the fact that he uses fruit, right? We just t- tend to assume that the food that they're talking about is fruit in the garden, right? And he says, you know, you can go after the fruit of the world, but it only satisfies for two seconds. Can you imagine when you realize as... Adam and Eve realized that you just gave up the entire future of mankind for a bite of food. I just told y'all, right, what, what, what I want to do. It's, it's not new. It's not new. But I can't imagine the depression, the anxiety, the heaviness of I just made the choice for a split second of satisfaction for the future of mankind. And yet Romans 5 tells us that Jesus looked at that ignorance and instead of turning his nose up and going, you brought this on yourself, he says, yeah, you brought this on yourself and I'm willing to come and do something about it and drag you out of that mire. This morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know attitude-wise where you're at, but on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've been told this, but God gets to the source material. You may not have murdered anybody today. I hope not. That would be terrible. That would be awful. 
And you may not have done some of the first things he listed there about not inheriting the kingdom of God, but I guarantee you if you've lived long enough, that back end of that, you've done some of it, right? And it's the source material that he talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, physically, you've not done these things, but mentally, spiritually, attitude, you have. There's only one righteous. And until your righteousness surpasses that of the legalists and the politically correct, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus says, it's impossible for you to enter except through me and through the Spirit. This morning, if you're like me, every day I get up and there's more and more i got to give to the Spirit that I need to submit and hand over to Him. And that may be something you can do right where you're at. And that's the beauty of it. You have that relationship with Christ if you're a Christian that you can do it where you're sitting. You don't have to come and confess to me. There's nothing special about me because if you confess it, I'll probably sit there and confess it right with you. There's not really anything special about our shepherds. They're faulty. They struggle. They've got sin, I know, because we're brothers and we talk about it. But the power is, is that when a group of people who all struggle get together and confess, the angels celebrate. They throw a party. So we know that God's accepting it. But then it edifies everybody else around you as well. Because everybody goes, I've got problems. The Bible says the only, only issue you have is when you say you don't have problems. Because you're making God a liar. <laughs> don't do that today. Or maybe you do need it physically, physically touched, a hug, a loving, all that stuff. There's people here that will do that in whatever way. Whether it's from cutting you grass, giving you a hug, making you something good to eat. Oh my goodness gracious. Wow. Can people around here, I know, I've experienced it. If that's what you need, hey, let's do it. Or maybe this morning the Spirit's calling you to do exactly what they did in Acts chapter 2. Realize where you're at. Confess that and become a Christian and enter into a relationship that God has done all the heavy lifting. That you get the privilege to know Him and to live for Him. Whatever that need may be, we would love nothing more as a body to do our part through the Spirit, not through our power and our eloquence, but through the Spirit to, to meet that need as He calls us to because He created us for good works. This morning, if you have a need, won't you come as we stand and sing?